0: here's what I want us to, to think about and just to encourage you with to this, this morning. Our big idea is because Jesus is king, we must abandon our rebellion and embrace his authority. It's a little bit different maybe than some of the passages you hear me preach, but this is the passage of good news, but there's some warning in this, in this passage as well. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever rebelled against something? Don't raise your hands, okay, because some of you should put up a couple of hands probably. Have you ever rebelled against something? Let's refine that a little bit. Have you ever rebelled against something or someone when you knew that deep down that what you were doing wasn't right or good for you or that it would possibly hurt someone else? But you just didn't listen or you just didn't care and you just did it anyway. See, there's different kinds of rebellion, right? There's the kinds of rebellions against things that are evil and wrong and then there's the kind of rebellion that is looking at things that are good and right and doing our own thing. See, the problem for human beings ever since Adam and Eve first rebelled against God is that we have a desire to to want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. So a couple of things happen. For some people, they don't even know that there is a God or that there are ways of understanding and doing things that are other than just whatever they feel or think. So that's one category of person. They, they don't even know. They don't even think about that, hey, something other than what I'm thinking and feeling and wanting to do might be the right way to do things. For some people, they believe that there is a God, but they just don't trust that he really cares enough or they don't trust his ways or his ways of understanding things. And they're actually not trusting him and not really believing that what he desires is good for them or better for them. And so they don't listen to him. So they, they, they know that there's a God out there, and they know that there's some other ways, alternative ways of seeing things and doing things, but they're just suspicious that maybe God really isn't for them. And maybe the parameters and the things that God says are really just to oppress us and not to let us have fun or not to have, let us find fulfillment, and they're not really trusting God, so then they do their own thing. And then there are those people that they totally believe that there's a God, and they totally know that his ways are best, and they totally know that the way he designed things and desires things are what is good for us, but we still go and do what we want to anyway. Maybe you've found yourself in any one of those categories, or maybe all three of them at different parts in your life. I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, since a little kid, and you know I've pretty much known the right way to go. There are just times that I decide to go my way. It's called sin, but it's also rebellion. There are different roots or motivations for all of this, but the Bible still calls it rebellion towards God, looking towards God and saying, hey, I want to do it my own way, not your way. Our passage today is going to kind of get broken down into three different categories. First, we're going to see the problem, and the problem is rebellion. Then we're going to see how God replies, and then we're going to see where we can find our hope and refuge, because remember, it's always about good news, and this is a passage of good news. So let's start out and we're gonna look at the rebellion first. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? It's a question. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The author seems to be like generally surprised. Like, why do the nations do this? Why are they raging? If, if God is good and loving and merciful, why rage against him? If he's the perfect loving God who's created us in a certain way, why do we rage against the ways that he wants us to live and to do things? So he seems really perplexed. And besides that, besides that raging, they're plotting, it's going to be in vain because he's God. And so they, why do the nations do this? And when he says "A nations," he's alluding to their leaders, so those who are in power and authority, but in the, you see in, ver, in the verse one there, why do the nations, the rulers and the authorities, but also their people plot in vain? So the average person the picture is everybody. The, the kings and their people all are plotting in vain to say to God, "I don't want to do it your way. I don't want you to be the king. I want to be in charge." I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And then it goes on to say that they actually take counsel together as if by themselves they can't resist God, but somehow together they could. Uh, We're supposed to read this, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus and and know who God is. We're supposed to read this and kind of shake our heads and go, what? They, they, They think that somehow if they plot together, they'll be able to do something? They'll be able to defeat him. Uh, One of my favorite passages is in 1 Thessalonians where it says that Jesus will defeat his enemies with the breath of his mouth. He's just going to go, and it's all over. And yet, here they are, these nations, plotting against this one, as if somehow, if they come together and are unified, they'll be able to resist and rebel against the king. They oppose the Lord, it says, by opposing his anointed. So the kings of the earth, they set themselves And the rulers counseled together, verse 2, against the Lord. And then here it is now, against his anointed. And now when we start to see that, we're going to see this change about who we're talking about. They oppose the Lord's anointed. And when they're opposing the Lord's anointed, the anointed here is going to be referring to Jesus. This passage will be understood later to be the Messiah, Jesus. And a couple of things that are really fascinating here in this passage when it's referring to the anointed one, the English word for the Messiah comes from the Hebrew word anointed. The English word for Christ comes from the Greek word for anointed. So when we see anointed here, we're seeing the Messiah, we're seeing the Christ. And so he's saying they're rebelling against God and against his anointed, the Messiah and the Christ that he sent. And those who oppose the Lord and his anointed, then they they see them as as one who wants to put them in bondage. And here's here's where this gets so twisted. And here is where we have this great deception that has happened ever since Adam and Eve, ever since the fall occurred. We're under this great deception, and and the great deception is this. They see the Lord as one who wants to put them in bondage. They, They see the Lord and his anointed one as one who wants to restrict their freedom to do what they want to do. They see him as one who places bondage on them because of his commandments and his desires for them to produce righteousness and goodness in their lives. So it looks kind of like this. They, they see him as one who doesn't allow them to have sex with whoever they want to and whenever they want to. They see that instead of that he has designed sex to be experienced to its fullness in a lifelong committed marriage they, they see him as one who doesn't allow them to gossip and lie about others and to manipulate others and to harm and destroy others they see that instead of the one who offers them the opportunity to speak life and to speak beauty and to speak words of healing Those who oppose him, they see him as one who doesn't allow them to be greedy and envious and to use their wealth and power for their own good and glory. They see that instead of one who says, hey, I want you to have rest in your soul, that you're not consumed by greed and envy, and that you see money and power and position as tools to be used for the good of others and for the glory of God. Those are just the few examples that I thought of this week. You can fill in the blank of all the examples that maybe you've experienced or seen where there are those who see God's guidelines, God's commands, God's parameters as restrictions instead of liberation. And so when they see that, they say, we don't want to bow to that, we want to bow to our own will and our own desires and what we wanna do. You know, we're always gonna worship something. And for many of us, we end up worshiping our own desires, our own things, the things that we want, instead of the God of the universe. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 11, just this beautiful picture that I love to to share with people and to talk with people about. And In Matthew 11, verse 30, he just simply says this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The anointed one wants to bring us to Freedom. And in the psalm, he's trying to say to them, the anointed one wants to liberate you. You're living in bondage, and he wants to liberate you. But that isn't how those who oppose God see it. Rebellion typically manifests itself with an attitude, again, of I want to do what I want, when I want to, and no one should be able to restrict me. The problem with that rebellion is this, though. It's rebellion towards God, but it also is something that hurts other people. The problem with this rebellion towards God is that when we say let's burst the cords or cast away the cords of God's boundaries, is that not only is it rebellion towards him, it manifests itself in harming others, and we don't usually think of it like that. We think of sin and rebellion as just impacting me, but it harms other people, and it harms us, ourselves. And it's really hard for us to acknowledge that. But the older you get, the more you have seen it as you look back at your life, and I think of my life, and I think of the choices that I've made that were not in accordance with his will, and not only did it harm other people, it harmed me too. These are not like neutral kinds of things. And yet, there's this God of heaven who looks down and says, listen, Why are are the nations raging against me? Why are they plotting? It's going to be in vain. I'm God. I'm going to win. So either you can bow to me and, and join with me, or you can rebel against me and continue to do your own thing. Now, remember, I'm a preacher of good news, and this might sound kind of heavy to start, but we're going to get to the reply next, and then we're going to get to where do we find refuge so the first thing is we got this picture of rebellion and and i'm trying to paint a picture that's dark because rebellion is dark and the rebellion towards god is dark but then we see god's reply and this is how god replies in verse four and it's kind of should make a smile a little bit because he who sits in the heavens looks at mere you and me and mortals like us and he laughs you know, there's an old saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him what your plans are. Is that how it goes? You know, tell him what you're going to do next, and God will laugh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll show you what's going to happen next. <laughs> he who sits in heaven laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. The Lord essentially is mocking those who scoff him. We, we might say something like today, like, are you serious? Where it says in the heavens he laughs, in the heavens he's going like, are you serious? Do you really think that you can rage and plot against me? and I'm just going to ignore it. God is saying, do you really think you can shake your fist at me, and I'm just going to go, oh, isn't that cute? That I won't notice, or I won't respond? And then here's kind of more of the heaviness of it, because in verse 5 he says, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Now again, referring to Christ. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel." One commentary said it like this that I think is so important for us, and if you don't hear anything else I say today, would you grab onto this piece? God's anger and wrath is always an expression of his righteousness. God's anger and wrath is not just arbitrary. It's based on his righteousness and his holiness and his goodness and his knowing what is good. And so he can't just ignore and let things happen. The best example I, I always try to, to make of this piece when we like to think that maybe God could just ignore things, the, and some of you have heard me share this before, but I'm going to use two of my kids and they're not here today. Jesse, don't tell them I told this example. <laughs> so that's my son Jesse back there. So I always use this example. My oldest son, his name is Zach, and my daughter, her name is Bryza. They're a year and a half apart. Let's just say like this never happened, but it just says, say once in a while, Zach picked on Bryza, okay? And if she came to me as her father, who had the authority and had the ability to bring justice and to stop the behavior, and if she came to me and she said, Dad, Zach is picking on me, and I go to Zach and I put my arm around, I just love you so much, Zach, and I'm a dad of love, and so would you just please stop? And then the next day, it happens again, and she comes to me and she says, Dad, Can you stop him from picking on me? And I go back to Zach, I'm just this dad of love. Put my arm around him. Would you please stop? If that happened day after day, week after week, what does Zach think of me? Oh, he's a dad of love. He's so great. What does Bryza think of me? He's a dad who has the ability and the power and the authority to stop this, to do something about this injustice and this sin. And he just ignores it. He doesn't do anything. She's not celebrating me. <laughs> She's not going, that's an awesome dad. He might be thinking that, but actually it's not, because it's not good for him either, right? My, my point simply is, you guys, that when we think about God ignoring people's sin, ignoring things that are happening in the world, what we're really saying is that if, if, he, if we want him to do that, we want him to not be just because sin hurts other people. And the good news is that God is going to make things right one way or the other. God doesn't stick his head in the sand and ignore things. And so this passage reminds us that God's anger and wrath, though, is always going to be expressed through the the lenses of righteousness and holiness and what's good. And he's not going to just ignore when people are being harmed. So to fully understand the God of the Bible, you have to embrace all of who he is and an aspect that we can't ignore that he has the, the aspect of his wrath and fury towards sin and toward rebellion and toward evil. And it tells us that it should be terrifying. It should be terrifying to think about falling into the hands of a God who is just and who can and will pour out his wrath towards rebellion and sin and evil. And I want you to know, though, that I'm glad that he's a God that will do this with evil. Man, it would be so hard to to believe in a God who just ignored evil and all of its implications. This is good news that he's a God like this. Now, this passage will show us where we can find refuge from his wrath and fury. That's the good news. But for those who don't seek the refuge there, his wrath and fury should be terrifying to us. And if we create a picture in our minds of God as just a big loving teddy bear, we ignore sin, we ignore evil, evil, and we have an imbalanced picture of him. God is, not just, God is not a just or good God if he ignores when we sin. And when humans commit evil against one another, it is not just and good of him to ignore that. And verses 5 through 9 are just reminding us that the sun will rain, Jesus will rule, but not only will he rule with grace and mercy, which he will do and love, he will also rule with justice and holiness and righteous judgment. So with that deep picture in mind, what are we supposed to do then? Come into his presence and go like this, run away and hide? Where are we going to find refuge from a God who is loving and gracious and merciful, but also just and holy and righteous? And this is what God says. This is where God's invitation is for us. He says, Now, therefore, kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Verse 10. Now, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask the question, what's it there for? And the therefore is saying, based on what I've just said, based on these previous passage verses, now, kings, be wise. I'm giving you the opportunity to be warned. Rulers of the earth, be wise in how you respond to me, he's saying. Respond to this warning in a different way than the rebellion that we saw in the earlier passage verses. The wise way, the way that heeds this warning, and the way that we do that is in verses 11 and 12. This is the beauty, right, of the scriptures. It's always leading us to a place a leading us to a place of refuge, leading us to a place of hope. And what sounds like really dire circumstances and what we've just looked at and read, now he says, be wise, be warned, and here's where to turn. Here's what he says, and here's the good news. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. He starts it out with, here's the answer. Serve the Lord. Don't rebel against the Lord who is for you and who wants good for you and who wants to give you refuge and redemption and forgiveness and transformation. Don't rebel against him. Serve him. Yield to his call of lordship and kingship over your life. That's what this passage is saying. You have two options. The option is to look at God with rebellion or to yield to Him and yield to His Lordship and Kingship and say, Yeah, I want to serve you. I want to have a relationship with you that is not one of rebellion, that is one of sonship and daughtership. And in a relationship where I'm not in fear, that I'm not terrified by your wrath and judgment. Yield to his call of lordship and his kingship over your your life. It tells us to do it with a reverent fear of the majesty and the holiness and the power of who God is and what he can do. Sometimes we're living in a culture now, and I do like this part where we're understanding him as our heavenly father and we're understanding his love and grace and mercy and i'm all about that and you know i preach that strongly but there are times too that we need to remember with a reverent attitude that he is majestic and holy and powerful and that he is god and that he invites me to have a relationship with him but not just so i can say hey you come join my my journey that i come to him and understand you're the king And I want to submit to your lordship in my life. And passage says that we should do it with a rejoicing of the awe and reverence of who he is. I'm like, instead of like, oh, I've got to bow before God, it's like, wow, (laughs) almighty God lets me come into his presence. Almighty God lets me have a relationship with him. The God who should terrify me, I am not terrified of. I can come and be in his presence, I can come and know him, and I should rejoice in that, but with an awe and reverence of like, isn't this amazing that the king, the Lord, who when the rest of the nations rebel against him, he just laughs and says, who are you? Who do you think you are? I can come to him and say, I'm your son. And I can come to him with a humble reverence and a bowing before him. In fact, it says, kiss the son bow and acknowledge his lordship. This is a picture of, uh, of there's two ways that you could see this, the kiss the sun. Some say like the king where you kiss his hand and his ring. That could be part of the picture. Another piece of the picture is the friendship. Like if you grew up like I did as good Scandinavian in Minnesota, you know, you, you said hi to people like from, you know, social distancing was always part of my life, you know. It wasn't <laughs> nothing new. But if you go to the East Coast where my wife's family was from, and first time I met her mother-in-law living in New York City and come up, kiss, kiss. And I'm like, I just met you, <laughs> and you're kissing me on both cheeks. That's the kind of picture, that the friendship kiss, the kiss on the cheek that is of friendship. He's saying, kiss the son. Have a friendship with the son. Acknowledge him. If it's kissing the hand, acknowledging his lordship, but acknowledging a relationship. You can either say to them, I'm not relating to you, or you can kiss him as a friend. And kiss him as the king. And if we don't, if we choose to defy God, we'll perish and experience his wrath. That's what the passage says. Or we can experience the good news of this passage, the good news of the whole Bible. We can surrender to his kingship and be blessed. We can take refuge in him and be blessed. The happy life that we talked about last week in Psalm chapter 1. The beauty of this passage is that there is a place of refuge. Not that there is a God who is Powerful and wrathful and terrifying where we sometimes hear that message and we think, you're preaching fire and brimstone. I'm not, I'm saying there's refuge. There's refuge. There's a place of refuge. The anointed one, the son, the Messiah, the Christ. He provides refuge. I just want to get real with you for a moment from, man, I was just thinking the other day, it's 30... Gosh, getting close to 40 years, hard to say that, all right? You young people, don't judge me based on that statement, okay? (laughs) But it's close to 40 years of ministry. One of the great sorrows of having been in ministry for a lot of years is seeing many people choose to perish, to ignore the warnings and to face the wrath of God. It grieves your heart. I know people that I ministered to, tried to share about this great news, and they just continued in their rebellion. One of my dear friends, man, I've been praying for him since we were kids. Last time I ever talked to him about God, he said, God and I are good. (laughs) But he's just living his life the way he's always wanted to live it. I fear that when he dies, he will perish. I've known people who have died perishing. They have perished. It's, it's, it, this isn't like theoretical stuff. This is real people that you know. And it grieves your heart. And it's one of the greatest sorrows of being in the ministry. Now, one of the greatest joys of having been in the ministry for a lot of years is seeing so many people choose to find refuge in Jesus. We just grieved the celebration of Rocky and Kathy Harju and their loss, and we celebrated that. Two people, that they found their refuge in Jesus. So the grieving was very different. Ralph Selke, we just had his funeral yesterday. Cross-country skiing, 70 years old, just out with his family. But we know where Ralph is. Next Saturday, we're going to a funeral from a friend of mine. He's my age, died of COVID. He's got a couple of college-age sons like my boys. They were friends and man, it's it's grievous to think about going to that funeral. Yet, I know where he is because of his faith in Jesus. Michael Mertica's father I did his funeral just a month ago now, but he knew Jesus. So while we grieve, we celebrate because we know that they have found refuge in Jesus. So while my greatest sorrows have seen seen people who have not chosen that and have perished, the greatest joy is seeing people who have chosen that and are not perishing. They have found refuge in Jesus. And all those years of ministry, the great joys of seeing people in that situation. I have the joy of seeing most of you in this room seeking your refuge in Jesus and all that that means and looks like. That is a great joy for me. That is a great relief <laughs> to know that for most of you that I know in this room, you, you are seeking your refuge in Jesus, and I rest in that. To have known so many that have found forgiveness and have found grace and mercy and peace and joy in the sun, has been like the greatest joy of my life. To have known so many of those years of ministry. Let me say that again. They found forgiveness, just like you have. They have found grace and mercy and peace and joy and they found it in the Son. God has provided a way for us to find refuge and it's through the Anointed One, through the Son, through Jesus so my invitation is simple one this today kiss the son acknowledge that he is the Christ acknowledge that he is the Messiah by faith which means simply to believe receive the refuge that he provides all of scripture including including Psalm 2 are pointing us to the son so that we can be at peace with God through the work of Jesus It is my true and sincere hope this morning that nobody will leave here still saying, I'm just going to keep going my own way and I'm going to just deal with the wrath of God when it comes. That's a great tragedy. My hope today is that every one of us will say, I want to be at peace with God. I want to be at peace with him through the work of his son. Not anything you can do. Don't try to work harder to find peace with God. That won't be enough. Faith in what Jesus has done will bring you to a place where you can have peace with God. What does it mean to kiss the son? Have faith. Believe in what he said. Believe that he is the place of refuge. Believe that his grace and mercy and forgiveness can give you peace and joy. The blessed life the happy life of Psalm chapter 1. This is what Christ invites us to. And as I always say, I'm a preacher of good news because I cannot literally give you any better news than what I just gave you. (laughs) There's a place of refuge, Jesus the Son. Come willingly before him and say, I'm in, I'm yours. I bow before you. I give myself to you. And I'm going to ask now that you will do your work in my life of transforming me and changing me. To me, this is good news. I have to tell you, I'm, the first part of this passage is heavy for me, even putting it together, even preaching it, because I don't always like to think of that side of God, but when I think of what Jesus has done for us, I love to think about that side of God, because I'm not afraid of that side of God, because Jesus has taken all of it on himself so that I can be at peace with the Son. So... Let's not look at God and say, we're going to do our own thing. Let's take the warning and be wise, like he says in verse 10. Kings, be wise. Kiss the Son, and blessed are all those who take refuge in him. I want you to be blessed today by taking refuge in Jesus.